0: God, we do thank you so much that there's that fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, Father, and when we're plunged beneath that flood, we'll lose all of our guilty stains. God, we thank you for that promise, and, and this morning, God, as we look in your word and we continue to try and turn our focus back to you, Father God, I pray that you would meet us here. God, I just want to be honest this morning and pray that you would move in a way that would make every single one of us know when we leave this building that we've been in the presence of God. Father, I pray nothing short of a pouring out of your spirit and revival this morning. God, I just ask that you would meet with us here and that you would find our hearts receptive. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated, children. You can turn loose to Children's Church. Um, I, I, before we get started, I want to share with you for just a minute. It's kind of funny, um, uh, you know... Uh, we had talked even at the last deacons' meeting. It's funny how when you run into opposition, it can reassure you that you're headed in the right direction, right? Because if you're heading into if you run into opposition, that probably means uh, that you're going the right way, and Satan or somebody's trying to stop you. And and you know it's kind of funny this morning. Every time we have something mess up with the sound or the slideshow or you know something mess up in the morning, I'm thinking, okay, God, God's trying to or wanting to do something this morning. And we're just trying. Satan's trying to distract us. So maybe God's trying to do something this morning because. I sure know he was this week. Um, I, we've been talking for a few weeks now, just a little bit at a time, uh, about you know the outreach that we're looking for in Brantford and, and starting a new church campus there. Um, I got to talk with one Sunday school class this morning about that, answer a lot of their questions. I'd love to do the same for you. Let me just go ahead and say up front, if you have any questions uh, about what we're doing, any concerns, please feel free to call me because I would love to answer your questions and kind of talk with you. and Let's pray about this thing together. Um, but this week was actually the first week that we put feet on the ground in Branford. Uh, we've known we're going to get to this point for several months, but we just kind of uh, wanted to let you know about it before we actually went there. And so we went there this last week, and we've been telling you, you know, and on that Sunday morning I told you about what we want to do in Branford, um, that we really wanted to reach out to those young, unchurched and dechurched families who who are just not in any church whatsoever right now. We're not going to try and take angry church people from another church because angry church people, even one church, go to another. Just make two angry churches, okay? So that's not what we want. We want these people who have just been burnt by the church, they're unchurched, they're de-churched, and we've been telling you that the one church we are worried about in Brantford is what Church. The Mormon church. That's the church we are worried about. We ain't worried about no Baptist church, Methodist church, Presbyterian, Pentecostal. We're worried about the Mormon church because I'll just be up front with you. I believe that if you follow Mormon doctrine, when you die, you will go to hell. Mormons are not Christians. They might pretend to be, but they are not. And if you think they are, you can ask them two questions. Number one, are Jesus and Satan brothers? Their answer, yes. Number two, when you die, can you become like Jehovah God the Father? Answer, Yes, those are two answers that tells me they're not Christians. Okay, So that's the church we really are worried about. We've been talking about this group of people in Branford we're trying to reach out to, but until this week, we've never even been to Branford to meet any of them. Okay, So we're out in Branford this week, group four of us, Howell was with me, and uh, we went up to the apartment complex there right across from Mormon Church, so there's not going to be any better place to start. Okay, The third door we knocked on young guy, 23 years old, named Kyle, answered the door. And said, Hi, you know, I'm Chip, pastor of Airline Baptist Church. It was, uh, what day was that, Doc? Wednesday. And it was raining outside that day. Remember, it was nasty Wednesday. Me and Doc are like soaked, standing out at his door. And I got like a coffee mug uh, and some hot chocolate in it. He said, I it was a good day for hot chocolate. Why don't you have a cup of hot chocolate on us? And he's like, I want you guys come in for a second. And we're like, thank you. Because, you know, we're like soaked. It's wet. It's cold. And we go inside. And he says, his eyes are about this big around. And he says this you know, his first words out of his mouth, I think God sent you here today. And anytime somebody says that, you kind of look at the person you're with and like, okay, we're fixing to get into something either really good or really bad, okay? Uh, So he says, "I I think God sent you here today. And just to make a long story short, without going into any details, he and his wife been married for six years, um, had been recently separated, and uh, he was just going through a hard time with it. She was telling him, I don't love you anymore. I don't, you know, I, I want to get a divorce. And he was really struggling with this because he looked at us, and these are his words. He said, This all started because I was too stubborn, I didn't want to go to church. And he began to tell us how he had been in church, but he kind of got burnt by the church, and how he did not want to go back. And, he th- and that's where this problem with his wife started. And so, um, you know, Hal and I prayed with him and talked with him. You know, we're, we're going to try and encourage him with some resources we're getting to him this week. And uh, anyway, he said this. He said, you know, I've really been needing and looking for some help. And the only people that have tried to help me have been my grandparents, who go to the Mormon church trying to get me to see one of their counselors. And I just don't think that's where I need to go. I'm going to tell you what, when he said that, it was like, you know, you could ask Doc the same thing. It was like God just washed over us. You're like, man, this is who we're here for. This is what we're trying to accomplish. And so that was really just an affirmation of what God's doing. And I'm excited about it. And, you know, we're going to begin talking more about it. Um, if you are interested in what we're doing and already feel like this is something you'd like to help out with, um, uh, January, or I'm sorry, yeah, January 23rd it's the week that we start our Tri-Church Revivals we're going to have a meeting before that um, about 5.30 on um, January 23rd and if you'd like to help out, why don't you go ahead and write that date on your calendar and we're going to get together and talk about some ways that you can help out as we kind of prepare uh, as we head into this ministry Uh, Well, enough of that, I just want to share that with you this morning. I I want to talk to you uh, as we continue on this month in our series on refocus. Um, And I got something for you. I got something up here. It's in a cup. Um, Got some, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. I know you can't see it, but it's kind of white and and grainy. Um, I need a volunteer for this. Who's a a good volunteer? All right, Taylor. I see you raised your hand in the back. You didn't even know he was back there. Y'all just all turn and look at Taylor and make him feel awkward. All right, come on, Taylor. All right, what I got up here is one of two things. I either have a cup full of sugar or I have a cup full of salt. Have you ever got sugar and salt mixed up when you were uh, when you were cooking? Anybody? I've not, but that's because I don't cook. Um, I hear it can be a bad thing. You, you look at this. What is that? You think that's sugar or you think that's salt? looks like sugar. You sure? It looks like it, yeah. How sure are you? Pretty sure. Sure enough to take a big bite of it? A little one. A little one? <laughs> that good? to try it? Oh, it feels a lot better now that you know it's sugar, right? <laughs> Thank you. No, give me a round of applause, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you look at sugar and salt, and it's something you know, like, okay, sugar and salt are not the same thing, right? You would have seen an awesome face had I been mean and put a bunch of salt in that cup, right? That would have been mean, wouldn't it? I should have done that. Anyway, Uh, you know, because sugar and salt are not the same thing. One's sweet, one's... You know, they're they're totally different, but they do kind of look alike, don't they? Matter of fact, if I had a cup of sugar and a cup of salt up here, it'd be kind of hard to tell which was which, wouldn't it? You know, and, and you think about that. And it's a truth that kind of really applies to a lot of areas in our lives. How often do we see something and look at it externally and think it's one thing, only down the road find out it's something completely different, right? Have you ever been there in life? Maybe it was with a job that you had signed on for, and you say, okay, this sounds like a great job. You get six months into it, and like, this is not what I signed up for. Maybe it was a person that you met. Maybe you had met somebody, you know, that you say, okay, we're going to hit it off. These are good people. We're good friends. And you get down the road, and they're like, whoa, this is, you know, not what I signed up for. And so often we get fooled because things can appear to be one thing on the surface and then be something totally different underneath. Let me tell you, there's no area in our lives where this rings more true than in our spiritual lives, right? You can be one thing on the surface and be something totally different underneath, right? Matter of fact, isn't that what we looked at last week in Isaiah chapter 1? You remember that? God says, I'm through with your sacrifices. I'm tired of your offerings. When you burn incense, it makes me sick. He said, you can come to church. You can dress nice, go to Sunday school, bring a really big Bible to make sure everybody knows that you have it. You know, Most spiritual people have the biggest Bibles. In case you didn't know, I was just going to throw that out there. Uh, But we come to church and and we've got all this going. We'll we'll, we'll dot all the I's and cross all the T's. and, And we put on this really, really spiritual front. But deep down, we are bitter towards other people in this room. We have an indifference and a coldness in our hearts towards God. And we are really just spiritually rotting from the inside out. But you never know it just by looking at us. How many of you ever remember my magic jacket? Do you remember that sermon we preached over in the old church where I had a magic jacket? You wear the jacket, looks nice, take it off, it's it apart. How many of us throw in that magic jacket? We look one way on the outside, but inside we're totally different. Jesus talks about this. Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, I want you to look at what he says. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear to be beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Do you see that? That's the words of Jesus. How many of us are like that? We put on a front, but inside we're dying spiritually. And we said this last week. That's why God is not as concerned with what you do as he is with why you do it. Do you believe that this morning? God is not as concerned with what you do as why you do it. Now let me clarify something. That does not mean that God is not concerned with your actions. God is concerned with your actions. It doesn't mean that God simply says good intentions are enough. When you get to heaven you say God I tried. That's the best I could do. That's not what that means. What this means is that God is a God who sees beyond our in our external appearances and sees into our hearts. I say that again. God is a God who looks beyond our external appearance and sees into our hearts. Do you agree with that? Sometimes that can be comforting, can it? Because sometimes, man, we can look beat up, we can be beat down, but God knows in our hearts we're relying on Him. But for most of us this morning, I would venture that that's a very scary thought because we would be awfully, awfully, awfully embarrassed if everyone in this room saw on the outside how we feel on the inside. God looks past that and looks at the heart. This week I want to continue on in the book of Isaiah. And if you will, go ahead and turn to chapter 31 with me. Keep your place there in Isaiah chapter 31. And what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the idea of true biblical repentance. Say, Chip, how does that tie together with who I am on the inside? You'll see. We, uh, we've we got this idea of repentance in our head, and I'm not sure it's the idea of repentance the way Bible te- the Bible teaches it. So what I want to do is look at this idea of biblical repentance in chapters 31 and 30 uh, of Isaiah. Uh, but What I want us to do is I want us to read just three verses together this morning uh, as we prepare. So if you would, would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? If you don't have your copy of God's Word, it'll be up here on the screen behind us, starting in verse... 31 of Isaiah, we're going to read all the way down to the end of verse 3. Isaiah writes, speaking for God, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, and rely on horses, and trust in chariots, because they are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong. But they do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. Yet he also is wise and will bring disaster and he does not retract his words but will arise against this house of evildoers and against the help of the workers of iniquity. Now the Egyptians are men and not God and their horses are flesh and not spirit. So the Lord will stretch out his hand. And I want you to look at these next few phrases together because they're key. And he who helps will stumble. And he who is helped will fall, and all of them will come to an end together. Would you bow with me to pray really quick? Heavenly Father, God, I just pray that you'll take your word, speak to our hearts through it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. These kind of seem like harsh words from God, don't they? Seem kind of, you know, harsh. God says, woe to you who go down to Egypt for help. And I want you to look really, really quickly at something. How many of us... I've been taught, and you, 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 you just raise your hand. How many of you have ever heard this said, God helps those who help themselves? Anybody heard that before? Yeah, if you're not raising your hands, just because you're lazy. Because we've all heard that before, right? If, you, if the person next to you didn't raise their hand, just elbow them and say, Wake up. All right? Not, not too hard. Not too hard. All right? We've all heard that. Matter of fact, we've all been taught that. And I'm pretty sure if we pushed hard enough, most of us have said that. Right? Well, God helps those who help themselves. And a lot of times we say that with some, you know, talking about somebody who is poor, homeless, blah, blah. blah. So, you, know, you know, if you'll start out, you know, God helps those who help themselves. And guess what? You're not going to find that phrase anywhere in the Bible. Matter of fact, this seems to say exactly the opposite of that, doesn't it? Look at the end of verse 3 with me again. And he who helps will stumble. And he who is helped will fall, and all of them will come to an end together. It seems to me like God is saying the exact opposite of the fact uh, of the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. It seems like God is saying, if you try and help yourself, you're going to fall on your face. God helps those who can't help themselves. Now that's a foreign concept for most of us. But I think somewhere along the line, as we've grown up in church, many of us, that's the idea that we have of repentance, right? That, I, you know, I mean, I'm sinning, I've got to stop the sinning, you know, I'm cussing, i got to clean up my language, you know, I'm addicted to filthy stuff on the internet, I've got to just stop that, I drink too much, i got to cut it off cold. And we feel like, you know, that we have to help ourselves get right with God. Because God helps those who help themselves. But is that really what biblical repentance is. Is there something more to biblical repentance than just stopping what you're doing wrong? Look at this passage. This passage, you know, seems kind of harsh here, and and it is a little bit. Uh, But what I want to do is I want to flip back to Isaiah chapter 30. And let's look at exactly what God was so ticked off about. Because, you know, I think so many times we preach out of Isaiah or any of the big prophets, we like to, you know, get to the place where God's like railing on Israel and say, you know, woe is you, church! But I think we miss the point if we don't back up and see what's all this about. See, what's happened is, it's about 730 B.C., 730 years before the birth of Christ and the nation of Assyria has become one of the five or six greatest empires the world's ever known. Assyria had rose to power. They, had, they were just a military giant. I mean, they would conquer nations and kingdoms all around them and, and, and they were like a vulture looming over Israel. Israel was next on their list. Okay? Assyria is there. a uh, matter of fact, if you know your history of the Old Testament, Israel, the northern kingdom, Judah, the southern kingdom, had split. And Israel had already fallen captive. And Judah, like half the country, is hanging on. It'd almost be like if the United States uh, was being taken over by China, the east part of the country is already Chinese, and the west part sitting there just waiting for it to happen to them. Okay, And, and what happens here? is God gets tort with, with Judah. Because Judah's like, okay, we're overpowered, we're outmatched, what choices do we have? So what they do is they go to Egypt and try and sign a treaty or make an alliance with Egypt to fight against the Assyrians with them. Because Egypt uh, was probably the one nation, not who could conquer Assyria, but maybe could hold them off. You read a lot of in here as we read about horses and chariots. Egypt was famous for their you know, uh, chariots, warriors, and the horses. And in Israel, because it's such a mountainous country, that could have a lot of advantage over just foot soldiers. Okay? And so Israel goes to make an alliance with Egypt. And you say, wait a minute. Egypt? How many of you remember that only a few hundred years... Before this, Israel was what? Slaves to Egypt, right? It's almost like Israel's going to Egypt saying, okay, we really need your help this time. Forget the fact that you kept us as slaves for 400 years. We trust that when you bring your army to Israel this time and we beat the bad guys, that you'll just go home and let us live our lives like normal, right? Right? No. That'd be almost like the 13 original colonies calling Britain after the, after the Revolutionary War say, why don't you help us come fight off the Indians, bring all your troops and armies back and we'll stay here for a while and you just go home when we're done. No. No. And it's no wonder God got ticked, right? He's like, Egypt? You're facing a battle and you try and make an alliance with Egypt? Are you serious? And God just like flies off the handle. Look at verse 1 of chapter 30. God says, Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, when you execute a plan, but it's not mine. And you make an alliance, but it's not my my spirit, in order to add sin to sin. Who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me to take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh and to seek the shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the safety of Pharaoh will be your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt your humiliation. In essence, what God tells the nation of Judah is he says, Listen, if Egypt is the help that you want, Egypt's the help you're going to get. Right? How many of you know that one of the worst judgments of God is when he lets us get exactly what we want? Anybody? Anybody? Come on, are you awake this morning? Do I have to remind you of how many elections have went that way? God says, if you want them, you got them. Right? What Israel, Judah, didn't do was turn to God. I mean, you think of how God worked in this nation. He took a band of slaves, led them across the desert, made them walk in circles for 40 years and then they go into the greatest land of the known world and wipe the floor with everybody there? Matter of fact, you look at all these military conquests of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, you know, uh, Joshua actually cried out to the Lord one day when they were fighting the clients and said, God caused the sun to stop so that we can kill all of them. And you know what? God did. The sun stood still for a day because they were run out of daylight to kill the bad guys. Okay? I mean, think if God could do something like that, why wouldn't Israel just turn back to Him when they walked around Jericho? what did they do? They walked in a circle around the city seven times, blew some horns, yelled, and guess what? The walls came down. I, you know, I've often wondered why well, we didn't try that, ta- that tactic in I right. You know, just walk around, walk around, and then yell and let it come down. No. Why? Because God intervened in a special way with the nation of Israel. Okay? God had a special protection over the people of Israel. And yet, when they faced this task, Who do they run to? Egypt. No wonder God's ticked off. No wonder he's aggravated. If Egypt is the help you want, then Egypt is the help that you get. The idea that God's trying to get across here is this. What makes the Egyptians any better to the Assyrians? Either way, you still lose. Right? Right? I want you to look at a phrase there at the end of verse one. It says, "In order to add sin to sin," do you see that? So often, our first reaction to sin in our lives is to try and clean it up ourselves, right? Maybe we're in church, preach preaches on you know drinking, you know smoking, sex outside of marriage, whatever, you know preaching on something. You say, "Okay, you know that's just me. I've got to clean that up." And what we wind up doing, now listen to me, is exactly what this verse says, Judah did. We try and fight sin with sin. Let me give you an example. Preacher's the church, you're preaching. He's preaching on cussing. You say, "Man, I don't need to cuss," and you stop cussing because you're afraid. That's gonna make you look bad around the people that see you in church. If they hear you curse, they might think bad about me. So you use the fear of being made look made, being made look to look foolish in church to stop the sin of cussing. The fear of being looking bad in somebody else's eyes is just as much sin as cussing. So you're fighting sin with sin, you both lose. How about this? You preachers in here and preach on mending relationships. You're bitter towards somebody else in here. And God convicts you of that, so what you do is you manipulate the people around you and the circumstances around you in order that you can feel better about their relationship with that person. So you use manipulation to overcome bitterness, and you fight sin with sin still lose. Okay, It would be basically like trying to say, I'm going to stop being adulterous by looking at pornography. There's no net gain there. It's still lose. When we fight sin with sin, we lose. Right? Anybody. When we fight sin with sin, we lose. Say that with me. When we fight sin with sin, we lose. And so often, that's exactly what we try and do. We pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps and say, I'm going to get this cleared up. But that's not how it works. When we try and clean up the sin that God reveals to us by turning our life around, by getting right with God, we are committing a deadly, deadly, deadly step. When we try to overcome sin in our own power, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, all we do is wind up exchanging one sin for another. It's kind of like saying, I'm going to stop drinking Pepsi, I'm going to have Coke instead. Right? Overcoming these sins with other sins is still a lose-lose. But we don't see it that way. Why? Because in our idea of repentance, we pick out which sins we want to repent of. Look with me down in verse 9. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord. Who say to the seers, you must not see a vision. And to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words, prophesy illusions, get out of the way, turn aside from the path, let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. You might be thinking to yourself, Chip, I have no idea what you're talking about when you say I fight sin with sin. And the problem is, it's because you only choose to recognize certain sins in your life. Right? What's the Baptist motto? Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or run with girls who do. Right? Right? You ever heard that? a few girls that chew around Lafayette County? Amen. You know? You know, we hear about these things and, and it's silly, but honestly, aren't there a list of sins that you can go to any church in this county and you can hear people preach on them? And there's a list of sins that you go to every church in this county and you never once hear brought up? Our idea of repentance... Is picking out which sins we want to repent of, and I'll be honest with you. Something that ticks me off worse than about any other thing when I hear a preacher preach is when he talks to people who are not in the room. You know what I mean by that? Mean like be me getting up here this morning and preaching to you against sin of homosexuality. Now, is homosexuality a sin? Yes. Do I think any of you in here are struggling with it? Probably not. So why am I going to preach on it? Now, you'd come up after me, Preacher, that was a good sermon right there. I tell you, we need to hear that. They, they're all over this community. We need to hear that message right there. Truth is, you don't need to hear it. Somebody else needs to hear it. And you liked it because it didn't step on your toes while at the same time making you think that was some hard preaching. Right? That ticks me off. Instead, why don't I talk about the sin of coldness in your heart because there's many of you who've not been down to the altars in so long that your kids have never seen you do it. That's a sin when you're cold towards God. How about I talk about the bitterness about how there's some people in this church who can't stand in the room with other people in this church because they're liable to get in a knockdown drag out. How about we talk about that sin? guess what there's plenty of sin to go around but in our minds we want to preach on the ones that we know we need to repent of preacher I know I need to quit drinking I'm going to repent of it well praise God but why don't you quit eating too much too it's sin now some of you are in here and you're thinking Chip I I don't know about this I, I just that's your interpretation of what that passage says. And you know that they're really serious when they say interpretation. They put that intention on the end of it to let you know they're serious. I'm going to tell you something. Every man, woman, and child in this room has either one of two authorities in their life. You either have an authority in your life that comes from within yourself, or you have an authority in your life that comes from outside of yourself. If that authority within your life comes from within yourself, then you're going to spend your entire life seeking to determine what's true. You're sitting back in your chair. Well, that sounds good. I think I'll believe that. I don't know about that. That that, that don't sound quite as good. And you sit in your chair even right now determining what's true. And if your authority comes from within, that's exactly what you're going to do. But if your authority comes from without, a source greater than yourself, then rather than determine what truth is, you're going to submit to truth. Say, that's truth. And all I can do is submit to it. I might not like it, which you rarely will if he's talking to you. But you submit to it. And I want to make no mistakes. I want to make very clear this morning. That I acknowledge that truth does not come from within me. It comes from a truth outside of me. And all I can do is submit to it and tell it to you. Can I tell you that some of the shoes I make don't fit real good on my feet? If If you get what I'm saying. But all I can do is say, God, that's your word. It is true. And I submit to it. And so many of us need to quit leaning back in our chairs on Sunday morning and trying to determine what truth is, and you just take time, get your heart right with God, and start submitting to the truth that's being revealed to you. We'll never get revival until we get past that point. We have to start submitting to that truth. When we think that we are holy and that we are righteous and that we have overcome sin, We're simply fooling ourselves and picking out the sins that don't present a problem to us. Do you believe that? Anytime we get to the point in our lives where we think we have nothing left to repent of, it's only because we're ignoring the sins that actually present a temptation to us. God helps those that helps ourselves, the very fact that we think that we should help ourselves reveals the guilt of our own pride and thinking that we could help ourselves. Right? The mere fact this morning that many of you think that you can clean up the sin in your life on your own shows the pride that you so desperately need to repent of. The fact that you think you can make yourself right with God shows that you've not understood what a word that God said. You can't pick yourselves up by your bootstraps. You can't help yourself. But that's what we think repentance is. We think, Chip, I'm going to come down to this altar and I'm going to make a decision and that's it. Praise God for your decisions but what decision can you make That can have any impact on your relationship with God. Because it's not about you, it's all about Him. Look at verse 15. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the Holy One of Israel, has said, In repentance and rest you will be saved, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you were not willing. How many of you ever thought that anywhere in the Bible you'd find repentance and rest in the same sentence? Repentance sounds like work, doesn't it? I've got to repent of this sin, I've got to repent of this sin, I've got to repent of this sin, but God says it's repentance and rest. Quietness is your strength. That is totally contrary to what we've been taught. But it echoes. Exactly what God told Moses. Remember the story of Moses, right? Let my people go. He leads the people to the Red Sea. They can't get across. Pharaoh's army is charging against them. And then God speaks these words to Moses in Exodus. Uh, Chapter, I think it is 13, he says this. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord which which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. And then read this with me. The Lord will fight for you. Read it with me. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. That is repentance. You'll find this all throughout Scripture. Jesus said, or, or, The psalmist says, Be still and know that I am God. We must acknowledge this fact. If we ever desire to repent, we must acknowledge the fact that we cannot overcome sin on our own. Only when you get to the point in your life where you realize that there is nothing you can do to help yourself out will you fall on your knees and let God begin to fight for you. What does this mean? This means this. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. We need to be reminded this morning that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just for unchristians, it's as much for Christians. We need to come to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ daily and be reminded that nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I'll cling. We need to be reminded that Jesus sought us when we had nothing to offer Him. We need to be reminded that left on our own, there's not a person in this room that would be any better or any different than the worst uh, criminal locked away in prison. We need to be reminded that we didn't get saved from our sin by our efforts and we will surely not overcome it in our life by our own efforts. True repentance That word repent actually means return. And there are many of us, most of us in this room, who need to return back to the cross that saved us in the first place. We have been in church so long that we have in our mind, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, and if I do this, then God has to bless me. Truth of the matter is, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, and you can't do this unless God gives you the grace. Biblical repentance is not you overcoming sin on your own. Biblical repentance is acknowledging that you can't. But there are so many of you here this morning, and I know it because I talk to you, I live with you. I am one of you who are too prideful to ever admit that we need God's grace more than he's already given it. Chip, he gave me enough grace to save me. That's all I needed. I got the rest covered. No, you don't. We want to experience revival. We want God to draw us close. We want to see a move of God in our church. But yet we are too prideful to admit that day by day by day we live totally independent from His grace in our life. What we need is people who are broken, people who are sorrowful, people who will weep, people who will cry. And then when God lifts them up, they will shout again for joy. Repentance is acknowledging that I can't, but He did. We need to stop fighting sin with sin. We need to stop trying to pick out, well, I need to repent of that, but that's not a big deal. And we need to start coming to the place where we can return and rest and say, God, fight for me. I'm sick and tired seeing people in our church come and go through the motions come to cross something off their list Chip I've been to Sunday school I've been to church I came back at night I tithed I worked in the and said blah 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 I've done all these things I must be right with God but in the end I can no more tell if what you do on the outside is sugar or salt everything you do externally has nothing to do with where you are internally and God looks past your external appearance and he sees your heart and this morning I believe God would speak to you he would call you back to himself Today God would call you back and remind you that the gospel is still good news. And the good news is that you don't have to do this on your own. He's already done it for you. We need to take some time and come back to Him. Now look, I realize how long I've preached I realize this is totally uncharacteristic and yes I know you're going to be late for lunch but God help you if that's what's on your mind right now. God help you. Because what we need right now before we move forward another week this year is for God to move in our church. We're going to go to a time of invitation and I pray that you'll repent that you'll repent of repenting that you'll repent of trying and that these altars would be flooded with Christians who've not bent their knees so long they don't think they could ever remember how my prayer this morning is that God would move and he would call us back to returning and rest and we would do nothing other this morning then acknowledge the fact that we are still sinners who need God's grace. When you get there, then we can move forward. I'll ask our musicians to come forward as I pray. I realize it's late, but please do not let the time hinder you from responding to God's moving in your heart this morning. We're going to be here till we get done one way or the other. I want to pray for you for these altars are again open for invitation. If you would bow with me. Heavenly Father, God, I know this has not been the typical message that we usually hear at this church. God, I know it's been longer. I know most people here, God, they're struggling. Father, I pray this morning that you would knock us off of our high perches, that we would come back to the level ground at the foot of the cross and realize that we are still sinners in need of your grace. God, I pray that you would flood the altar this morning with Christians who are broken and humble and contrite. And we would acknowledge that all we are, all that we can do is through you. God, this morning we just want to fall down before you. And repent. And rest. God, bless this invitation now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.